Hi, I'm Justin Sinceri, a licensed marriage and family therapist and your fellow trauma nerd. I had the absolute pleasure and honor to be interviewed by journalist Suzanne Krawiak for an article that she was writing for Jill Miller and Tune Up Fitness. If you haven't seen it already, I have the link in the description. It's a massive, epic article called The Biggest Nerve, Your Super Highway to Physical, Mental, and Emotional Health. It is a deep, deep dive into all things polyvagal and connects to videos from Jill for even deeper learning. It's truly an epic thing, but easy to understand. Dear listener, I hope you enjoy this phone call. It goes some really interesting places. Suzanne and Jill, thank you again for inviting me to be a part of this. You, Your story is so interesting because I, I think I started listening to your podcast. Uh, it's funny, I was at a breath and bliss training with Jill, and at the yeah. end, we were searching podcasts looking for Porges interviews, and someone put polyvagal in the search, and I'm yeah. like, hey, here's a polyvagal podcast. And so yeah. everyone in the group can't miss added, it, yeah. Yeah. And um, so when did you launch the podcast? Um, the one-year mark uh, might have just passed. It's right around right now, February of uh, 2019, so it's been about a year. Wow. And it's and tell me what this year has been like. <laughs> On what level? I mean, well, like... I mean, did you expect it? Like what? So why did you start the podcast and what were your expectations? My honest answer is I just felt a compulsion to do so. I... Um, I literally woke up um, one night at like four in the morning and the words polyvagal podcast were pounding in my head and I just had to listen. It was like, it was pretty intense and it was, it was like, okay, I better listen to this. And, uh, and so I, 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 I tried to go back to sleep at first. I'm like, no, this this is a significant, I better listen to this. And so I got up and it was like four 30 and I claimed, um, I started claiming, you know, usernames on Twitter and Instagram and whatnot. And um, the the podcast name, um, it was something I had been obsessively researching for at least, I would say, seven months. I think I had started in June of the uh, previous year during the summer at work. From June to February, it, I had just been obsessively, like, reading, 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 and watching interviews and listening to interviews and whatnot. It just, it was just this huge... I don't think compulsion is the right word, but it was, I just had to. So yeah, so I just launched it. I knew the information was really, really good. I knew my ability to um, explain it in very, very easy to understand terms. Like I could do it because I, I had been doing it at work. We, I had been doing trauma trainings at work based around polyvagal theory. And um, it was just this itch that I had to, you know, scratch basically. So I, I knew it would take off. I, I knew the information was really good. But having a bigger picture in mind of what that would look like and whatnot, I, I had no idea. And recently, I realized, like, wow, this is, you know, we're, we're really way up there as far as how many listeners are, are, how are many in and how many. Yeah. yeah, what are your numbers? Yeah, um, I was looking at it just yesterday, and I think 5,000 within the first 30 days, which is pretty darn good for podcasts. Wow. Um, yeah, and so that's just within the first 30 days per episode, we're averaging about 5,000, which is yeah, like that's that's way 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 up there. Podcasts don't typically hit huge numbers, but so it doesn't sound like a whole lot. But it, for podcasts, it, it is very very good. Right. We're doing like one episode per week. So yeah, uh, and but the amount of evangelizing that people are doing is pretty incredible. I mean, we we don't pay for advertisements or anything like that, and people are um, well. I think one is like their interest is so they're looking up the word polyvagal theory. They're looking up Stephen Porges. 
uh, or Deb Dana, and they're looking these things up, and and so Polyvagal Podcast is like you just can't miss it. So there's like there's that. It's a super niche group, or it was mm-hmm. originally very very niche. But then these people are really into it, and so they're spreading the word. And as long as I'm doing a good job, they'll you know they'll keep doing that. Right. And so when so that when you first learned about poly, how did you first learn about polyvagal theory? Then you jumped in and started doing your deep dive. So I had to, well, no, I had to. I am, I am a, a mental health clinician for the school district here, and I work with uh, high schoolers, and currently, actually, I work with uh, some younger ones too. So, to, and during the summers, we don't exactly have it off. We still work. We're twelve-month employees, but we have usually the kids don't want to meet with us during the, <laughs> during the summer. Right. Right. So. So, so we have more time to develop programs and trainings and curriculum and whatnot. And I used, uh, once summer school got out, I used, I think all of July, to basically start looking at trauma all over again. There was one client in particular at the time that I just didn't feel like I was being very helpful with. So I'm like, I'm just going to start from square one. I'm going to pretend like I know nothing about trauma. And, uh, and so I went on YouTube and just started looking for lectures and bite-sized pieces of information, just anything that I thought would be helpful. And then I stumbled upon Peter Levine and Somatic Experiencing. And are you familiar with him at all? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So I saw his and he was, you know, he recorded like these live things he was doing with people on stage. Like there was this veteran he was working with and this veteran had like some tics and his he was working with his jaw and there was like this miraculous looking recovery. I'm like, okay, that's a fluke. But then I kept looking into it. I'm like, no, there's something here that I need to find out more about. And so it started there. And then from there, just from YouTube recommendations, I found uh, Dr. Port is doing a lecture. And even though it was more academic than I was used to, I could pick apart like, oh, I, I can, I kind of know what he's saying. And then I could, as I listened more and more and more, I was able to uh, really pick apart like, oh, I do know what he's saying. And I can transcribe this basically for the teachers I work with and for the um, security guards and the district police, like I can reword this in very easy and really fun. And I take a lot of pride in that, that our trauma trainings are actually a good time, but I can do this. And, and that's, um, that's kind of how, that's how it started. And then once right. it started clicking, like to know the missing pieces, like I found what I was missing. I found my understanding of how people change was not complete basically. And so the polyvagal theory was the uh, the structure, the hierarchy of the autonomic nervous system. And so, like, once that, once I got that, things really started clicking and, and light bulbs going off. And it was just, this is what I'm missing. And I'm, I literally, like, I'm not even exaggerating. I put all of myself, outside of family and work, I put all of myself into learning about this day in, day out. I Like, I gave up. I don't play video games. I, I used to play a lot of video games. I don't do I don't go out to movies anymore. Like I, this is my my free time. Basically, my fun is doing the podcast and learning about this stuff. But it was just like I have to. It's just it it, it makes so much sense and it's so helpful, you know. And and right. I think that I'm able to like reword it and people seem to really you know really appreciate that. Right. And so the the trauma when you you know it was like the missing piece. You know what. Yeah, I, I know without going in the weeds into the weeds of you know doing trauma training for teachers or administrators or security guards, but 
what did it look like absent polyvagal theory? I mean, what? How For did me? that puzzle? Yeah, how did that puzzle piece sort of complete it? You know. It was, you know, it, for me, I knew the therapeutic relationship was extremely, extremely important and was the foundation of change. So I knew how important that was, but I didn't understand the co-regulation piece of it. And so I think that was a big part of it. So your and, relationship and, with the person you're working with, with the student. Uh-huh, yeah, right. that's absolutely primary. But now with polyvagal theory and especially the the idea of co-regulation, that being a safe mammal, being a safe nervous system for the person in front of you is how central that is. And I always thought, you know, I'm, I'm a good therapist, I have good rapport, I can build relationships and whatnot, but now I know how important that is. And now I also can recognize, like in my client, for someone who's in like this severe shutdown, like depressive place, I can track like when they move up the polyvagal ladder. Now, I don't know if this is Two in the weeds. Um, no, 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 that's great. Yeah. Okay. So I know, like, when a, when a, and this used to really throw me off, was that when I have, when you have someone who's, like, in a severe shutdown who's very depressive, outwardly they don't cause problems. So it's kind of hard to say, like, they're a problem student or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. But because they're, they're so within themselves that their behavior is not really much of an issue, sadly. I mean, it is, but it isn't. But now I know when they're, when these more depress, depressive sort of, types are or when they're in that more depressive like state when they climb up their polyvagal ladder that the first stop is to go into their uh, sympathetic flight fight system especially the fight and then flight so now when i have these kids in front of me that are in that more isolated depressive place i know the next step is that sympathetic charge is supposed to is going to come back and right. i think before i think right and so i think before when i would meet with these kids who were outwardly kind of calm and then we would do our therapy thing and then all of a sudden they would get worked up or angry i got i was like oh i did something wrong right like it's going off the rails right instead of exactly yeah versus like no this is the next step and so i would you know do grounding skills that weren't super helpful or i would freak out like internally i'd be like oh my god i did something wrong or i'm making this kid worse and so so if i'm yeah, yeah. And and so now if I'm in that state where I'm freaking out, now I'm giving danger cues and really kind of, I don't want to say making it worse, but I'm definitely like keeping that going. I'll, I'll say that. So now I know, oh, this is what's happening. It's the fight state. And then we'll go into our flight anxiety kind of place. And then we'll get to our safe and social state. And now that I can recognize it, I can keep in, like I have that, that knowledge grounds me. I can keep in touch with my my own state and make sure I'm always in my safe and social state or as much as possible. And, uh, and really kind of to be the anchor for the two of us and to hold, be able to kind of like hold their energy along with being the anchor. And then they can work their way up the ladder in safety. And now I'm no longer giving those cues of like, Oh my God, <laughs> you know, like let's, let's stop this thing or whatever it is. And, and it's a, it's a much more grounded experience on my end, a lot more confidence, and so the, knowing the ladder, the polyvagal ladder, was a big key, and knowing the importance of co-regulation was a, was a big, big part of that as well. Right. It's so interesting because then once you learn about it, even, you know, I, I'm not um, a therapist, but just what I've learned right. about polyvagal theory and, and self-study and working with Jill, you start, start to feel like, oh, my goodness, if I had only known this before, you know, it, yeah. it you can really see where, 
like you said, mm-hmm. even, even if it's not making it worse, may, certainly not helping our response to, to seeing what's happening in front of us. Yeah, especially those really extreme cases with the very severe trauma. Like I, before this, I had confidence in myself as a therapist. I still believe I had um, good outcomes and I was doing a good job. But there's always some that I just wasn't able to connect with or reach or help. Um, and that still happens. I mean, no, no, no therapist is perfect for every single client, so I, I get that. But, you know, looking back, like, it, how, would I have worked with this person differently with this new knowledge? Yeah, I, I probably would have. And, you know, I don't dwell on that, but it, it does suck to know that. Yeah, and I, I'm guessing, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you mm. have trainings with teachers and people at the school, security guards. You, you said that as well. You, you yeah. do trainings with those people. So <clears throat> understanding that they don't have your mental health training, you know, I think training them, even when probably the listeners of your podcast, like how do you break it down for them um, when they're well, working with people in their life, you know, relationships or even, yeah. again, teacher-student, how um, what do those conversations look like with people that you're trying to help navigate those relationships? Well, so when we do our trainings, we focus on the core, core concepts. So like the three neural platforms of the safe and social state, the sympathetic flight fight state, and the um, the dorsal vagal shutdown state. So we focus on the three major platforms and the mixed states. But we don't use words like ventral vagal. We don't use words like dorsal vagal. We don't. We talk about the vagus, but we don't even talk about the vagus a whole lot because when it comes down to it, when it comes down to like co-regulation, when it comes down to what teachers are doing, they don't need to know those fundamental like you know, pieces exactly. They need to know, are you in your your own safe and social state? And and to know how to recognize that. But knowing the musculature of it or all the correct wording and whatnot, that's, it's just not important when it comes down to it in, in the moment. You know, you know what I mean? So right. we focus on how, how can we make this easily understandable by literally anybody. And so we use the words like safe and social, that's easy. Flight fight, you, you get it. And then um, shutdown, you get it. But then also freeze and play and stillness. Like you, It just makes sense. And then we talk about the hierarchy. We talk about co-regulation. And it, it just makes sense on that level. Um, and then we do, in these trainings, we do, um, we call them little experiments where we play videos that are supposed to elicit these different uh, neural platforms so that they can actually feel it during the trainings in a very, very safe way. And so they'll they'll hear those very simple words, and then we'll do a fun little experiment where they can feel it, and they can see the difference between, oh, I was more activated in my flight fight state based on this one thing we just watched, and when I watch this other thing, I'm way more in my social engagement system, and I can see that I can make eye contact, and I can uh, laugh and smile, like I can, and when I'm in my more sympathetic state, I lose access to those things. So we 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 do in vivo, we call them experiments, but they're just really fun exercises and super simple concepts and uh, especially about co-regulation and um, uh, self-regulation. Mm-hmm. Can you, you know? talk about the concept of co-regulation, what that means? Yeah, yeah it's, it's the idea that um, mammals, we'll talk about mammals, are able to send each other basically unconsciously cues of safety and danger. 
co-regulation is one mammal needs to be in their safe and social state, and the other mammal who might be in a more dysregulated place or like a flight fight or a shutdown place will pick up on the first person, the first mammals. <laughs> it's weird saying mammal, but I'm... <laughs> I know, <surprised>. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Usually I say nervous system, but I don't say mammal. But so the, the, the other, the one who's in a more dysregulated place will pick up on the cues of safety of the mammal that's in their safe and social state. So we'll talk about like parents and their kid. I felt like my son today was pretty dysregulated. He got super disappointed because we couldn't play Mario Kart anymore. It was time to take a break. And he was like to the point of tears. So a lot of parents might get irritated and stomp away. And they literally remove themselves from the situation, but it's also it's also taking away their opportunities to co-regulate. But when I was with him, what I did was I made sure, am I in a good place? I am. Like I, I can stay there. While he's dysregulated, I can stay in my good place, right, my safe and social state. And so I made sure to give him tons of eye contact, like gentle eye contact, not forced eye contact, but just look at him for like a gentle eye contact. My vocal prosody was there, my ability to use my voice to express, you know, highs and lows, like that whole range of voice. I still had access to that. I was able to use my facial muscles to give him smiles, but also looks of concern. So I was able to do all these safe things that he was able to pick up on and then work his way up to his own safe and social state. But, it, but if I had just left or if I got irritated and he, and he saw that, then that would be the absence of co-regulation. There would be no co-regulation happening. It would just be two, two uh, nervous systems in uh, dysregulated states. It would be two people basically out of their safe and social state. And then and over the course of the last year, are there either via outreach to listeners or the interactions on Instagram or Facebook – are there recurring questions that you get a lot from your listeners? Yeah, and um, I think the one that pops up the most probably is about self-regulation. It's about, um, you know, what can I do to um, climb my polyvagal ladder? The concepts make sense to, I think, pretty much anyone who listens to them, I'm hoping. And some people can take it and run with it. And some people are like, okay, but how? Like, give me specifics. What do yeah. I do? You know, and they, and they right. really... And I don't blame them, and teachers are that way too. Like teachers are like, okay, I get it, but tell me what to do in the classroom. And they want like super specific. So that, I think that probably has come up a number of times is, is um, okay, that's great, but what do I do with this? And, so and we, what, we do just, you, we what do you spend, give? Yeah, can you give some examples of, of self-regulation? Well, this is the thing. It, it's, it's, in, my, in my opinion, it's extremely subjective. And what one person does to self-regulate could be vastly different than the next person. So for me, I love drawing. And I know I love drawing because when I draw, and like when I draw mindfully, like when I'm really aware of my movements and the experience of drawing and what it feels like to hold the pencil and watch, you know, the, the marker touch the paper and the feel of the paper, like when, I, when I'm really into it, that's my way of self-regulating. I can work myself up from a shutdown place into the, a more sympathetic state and then up to my safe and social state. And I know it because I, I, my breathing significantly changes. And once I get up there, I can, I can recognize, like, you know what, I'm ready to go hang out with someone or I'm ready to socialize. So my way, of, one of my ways of self-regulating is just through drawing. I, it, it just does it for me. But that's not the same as the next person. The next person might, I don't know, like to play basketball or sing. And but, and but even then, like two people who like to sing, one person might like to follow a set 
lyrics, you know, and sing and sound like someone else, but the next person might like to freestyle and do their own thing and really like tap into their sympathetic state and let the energy out. So it, it, it's super subjective. And to tell someone like, yeah, just do this thing, I don't think it works that way personally. Right. There, there might and- be some. There might be some like universal things like if you're in a more aggressive sympathetic state, like leaning forward would probably make sense because because like like right now I'm, I'm pretty active. Uh, my my breathing is shorter and I'm I'm leaning forward. I'm a little more sympathetically active. But for someone who's in like a very shut down place, telling them to lean forward might not feel right for them. Likewise, um, someone who's in a very sympathetic fight fight place asking them to lean back and relax like that just doesn't work you know so there are there might be some universal things that click with people but i think when it comes down to really like the fine-tuning of self-regulation you know it, it's it's super different per you know person to person i, I really i don't think it's a, a one-size-fits-all at all right and i think too what can be confusing for people is you know dr portis talks about this biological imperative for connection um yeah i think it could also, people could take that to mean you need another person to regulate, co-regulate. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Is that, yeah. how, what do you think about that? That comes up a lot. That's one of those that comes up a lot. And so we talk about, you know, co-regulation is important, having support from someone else is important. Um, and we don't do well, I think, in isolation. And so people are like, but I don't have anyone, you know, and that's the reality. Like the kids I meet with at school, they have a parent or parents, but that doesn't mean that they have a co-regulator. The kids I meet with are surrounded by people at home or even their friends who they call friends, but that doesn't mean these people are in their safe and social state and are able to like actually co-regulate with them. So even though they might, people might be surrounded by lots of people, but that doesn't mean you're actually connected and, and feeling safe. So um, that, that's a problem that comes up a lot. And so the sad, sad reality is we have to acknowledge that there is this biological imperative to connect with the people. It's like that could be true, but it's also true that right now in my life, I'm not getting that met. And so we can't like ignore those two things. They they both exist at the same time. So that right. it's like, so I'm not getting it met, but I do have this drive and I feel it within me, this drive to connect. So what do I do with that? And really that becomes like, well, how creative can you get? Um, is there a club at school you can join? Or is there a, yo- a yoga class that you can join that do you have the means to do so? Uh, you know, it, it's it's like you have to get really creative. It's, can you go meet someone? Actually, I don't like that idea. <laughs> I was going to say meet yeah. someone, you know, out. But that's I don't know, that sounds risky. But but really, it's like Unless you it's have to get very, trust, very creative. You know, a, right, a friend. Ideally, ideally. Well, what I but found, not what everyone has that, is, right, right, what you're saying. No, yeah. right. But they might have it and not recognize it. So I work with kids, with teenagers, and what we talk about is I'll ask them, like, is there anyone in your life that you feel some level of trust in or that you feel comfortable with? And they'll think about it and they'll say a certain teacher. And usually it's the same teachers over and over and over again, over again right? But unless you stop and think about it, there might be someone in your life that fits the bill, but it might be more of a professional and not a friendly thing. But if you have someone that you can at least just say what's up to or make eye contact with or just check in with, I mean, that's it goes along. That's better than nothing, you know. So the kids I meet with, it's like they don't have any buddy, but what about the school counselor or what about that one teacher? And they'll be like, yeah, that is one person in my life. That's at least someone. And it's not 
you know, someone at home, unfortunately. But it's someone. And unless you start to think about it, you might miss it. So that person might be in your life and you just you just have no idea. That that's that's what I would say is that they might be there and if they really aren't there, like you have to get you just like the sad and frustrating and disappointing answer is you just have to get creative with what that looks like in your life. Right. And what do you think polyvagal theory tells us about what to do in scenarios where either like a student you work with who is not in a, a maybe a supportive home environment or even adults who are in work environments that can be toxic or difficult. What does the theory tell us about being in those spaces? So the polyvagal theory doesn't give any answers on what to do. Mm-hmm. It's really the science of what's happening. Um, and in those situations, it, it's describing that you're, especially for a child, I mean, it's for all of us, but especially I would say for a child, there's this biological drive to connect. And if you're in a situation where you don't get that fulfilled, that that is actually one of the two paths to trauma. And and trauma is described as being stuck in a defensive state. So flight, fight, or shut down, like you're stuck there and you're in this like dysregulated place and you cannot access your safe and social state. That's kind of how we um, describe and talk about trauma. So polyvagal theory says, you know, infants are born in a dysregulated state. They have to have safe connections with safe people. You know what I mean? They have Mm -hmm. to have that. And as they grow, if they don't get that biological imperative met, they will exist and be stuck in, and I don't think it's permanent, but they'll definitely be stuck, at least temporarily, in a very uh, defensive flight, fight, or shutdown place or freeze. Um, They'll be stuck in one of those states. So it just polyvagal theory illustrates what's happening if you don't have that co-regulation, if you don't have that safe person to attach to. It just it's the science of of like what's happening. Right. What to do about that is is very situation dependent. Right. Do you feel this spike in conversation around um, the vagus nerve and polyvagal theory and culturally? Is that something you sense? I mean, it's. I know you're doing the podcast, so I mean, we're both in a situation where it's it's present in our brain right. for a lot of reasons. But it also does feel like you know when you're seeing articles in the cut of New York Magazine or um, things like that, it, it does feel like there is an awareness and a, and uh, an increase in interest in the vagus nerve and. And potentially that I've seen, yeah, yeah, that I've seen, and I'm I'm worried it's it's more of a fad kind of thing, right? Um, The mental health, yeah, the health field. I mean, how many diets come and go, you know? So when it comes to health and mental health, there's a lot of fad stuff. I don't think the polyvagal theory is a fad thing. It's been around for twenty some odd years, and only now is it um, gaining steam. I only heard about it, you know, what is it, a couple years ago, almost Mm -hmm. a year and a half Mm -hmm. ago. So I, I hear I see a lot of stuff out there, and I don't consume a whole lot of media or other people's content. I'm pretty much focused on creating my own. But you know what I do see out there is yeah, there's there's some vagus nerve kind of stuff. And my concern is, and people say, how do I stimulate my vagus nerve? And I'm like, I get it, I right. get it. Like I know what I know what they're talking about, and there's devices and all kinds of stuff to stimulate the vagus nerve, I guess. But my concern is, do you feel safe? Do you feel like you can connect to another human being? The state of your vagus nerve, I mean, it, it it's important, but really, like, do you feel that connection to another human being? 
You know what right. I mean? Like and if I, we word things in that way, like it, it becomes a lot more in control of the person who's seeking change. If they can feel that connection or they can feel that lack of, you know, connection. But feeling the stimulation of their vagus nerve, I don't know what that means. It, it, it's really like what's the neural platform that we're in? Are we in our safe and social state, our flight fight state, or our shutdown state? Right. I mean, basically, it's, it's more complex, mm-hmm. so basically. Right, but it seems like it's that from like an emotional thing, but then you also have this clinical side with um, these electronic stimulators that are impacting inflammation, yeah. rheumatoid arthritis, things like that. And I do remember, and I can't remember what podcast it was in. I've heard, I've heard so many um, of Dr. Porges' interviews in podcasts, but no. I do recall him saying to someone that he, and I uh, spoke to him recently about this as well, like this, fetishization of the vagus nerve. And yes, exactly. That's a great word for it. Wow. Right. And yeah. what would you say is about that? Is that what he said? Yeah, that is. is I, that what he I, said? I, 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 he either used that word or that's sort of what he was saying. Like that okay. was what he, it was like, listen, don't get all wound up yeah. around the nerve. The idea is understand what it does. Yes. Not So anyway, I'm just curious. And it sounds like no, that's that, kind of what you're saying too. Yes. That's it. Yeah. I don't have much more to add to it. That it, It's like we get we we get latched on to these one pe- you know especially when it's like scientific terms oh like oh the vagus nerve like i'm going to latch onto that and then <laughs> run with that and build some sort of curriculum or program or whatever and i think and um, in my opinion the same thing happens when it comes to neuroscience like the word you know the phrase rewiring the brain you hear that everywhere and i'm like what are we even talking about at this point like i i, I heard a podcast where they were talking about um it was a podcast about podcasting i believe <laughs> and it was an episode about how so meta. And yeah. I, that's what I, that's what I listened to, yeah. But um, they were talking about uh, storytelling and how important it is to tell a story to your listeners. And someone said the brain is wired to hear stories. So like, I I know what they mean, but why not just say humans like stories? Right. It's like we right. have to throw in that scientific jargon to make it sound more credible. It's like no, just we like stories. I get it. And so the same thing with the vagus nerve. We, we we get latched onto the vagus nerve, and not just the fact that like we can feel safe, or like running away, or fighting, or shutting down, more or less, you know. And those right. simple, easy terms anybody can get. When you say the vagus nerve, it's like, um, you know, it, what are we talking about here? Right. It becomes because, too, like it sounds fancy, but what, how helpful is that? Right, and then and because also, it's if you focus, if you somehow, if it's only mechanical then yes. it takes away the incentive to understand what's happening to your body. You know, then the focus is, well, yeah. how can I impact this yes. thing versus yes, how yes. can I understand what's happening in my body? I really you know? appreciate you talking with me about this because these are thoughts I've had in my head but I haven't talked about. And so to to, to process it with you, I, I really appreciate that. But, er, like, everything you just said, yep, I'm with you. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's um, well, I mean, I guess we kind of just talked about it, but is there something else, anything else you think is sort of fundamentally misunderstood about the vagus nerve or polyvagal theory that you, you know, sometimes if you hear things more than once by different people, yeah, you're like, hmm, there there's is. this thing out here that's maybe not, that's... There is. Yeah. Well, when it, I think the misunderstanding is about reactions to trauma. And the first thing is we a lot of people think about trauma as the event. Now, some events are more likely to be traumatic but it's not the event, it's the it's what you're left with after the event. It is the state of your autonomic nervous system. It's the flight, fight, sympathetic, 
charge or the shutdown, you know, being stuck in those places or the free state. So one thing, and this might be a lack of polyvagal education, is understanding that it's not the event. Like if you and I, if you and I were in a car crash, but the two of us are not necessarily going to walk away with the same um, state. You know what I mean? Like I might be just fine and you might walk away with that more and more of a traumatized state. So right. it's not the event. It's it's what we're left with after that. So that, I think that's the first thing. And the other thing is we get confused about, like, there's words out there like flight and fight and freeze that have been around for a while. But then other pe- people throw in these other words like fawn and right. flooding. They always start with they always start with F for some reason. Right. And, and so they, they, they throw in these other things, and it's like I, I get the intent, but the what we're talking about as far as polyvagal theory are the primary and mixed states of the autonomic nervous system. So safe and social is the first one. Slight fight is the second one. And shutdown is, is the third one. And there are mixed states. But these are autonomic states, not not adaptations to the state. Does that make right. sense? So like, right, totally. So yes. There's the, yes. Okay, there's, so there's the primary state, and then there's the behaviors that we do to compensate or to self or to attempt to self-regulate, but then we throw these other F's in there that are more behavioral adaptations. Like the fawn thing is not a primary autonomic state; it is a behavioral adaptation to a primary autonomic state. So I think it, it can get confusing because freeze is not simply a behavior; it's a reflection of uh, the autonomic state. It's a reflection of the mixture of the, sh- the shutdown state plus the sympathetic state ha- happening together. It's like you're sympathetically charged, but you're also immobilizing. It's like a panic attack. Right. So, but that's that's a primary or mixed state, not a be- not necessarily a behavior based on those states or or like an adaptation, a behavioral adaptation. Right. And and Portis talks about that we have behavioral adaptations. So I, I think there's there's some there's some confusion there about what's an autonomic state, and what's a behavioral adaptation to that. Are there people out there writing about, talking about um, polyvagal theory, uh, you know, other than Porges, of course, um, that you find really interesting, doing interesting work? Just, I'm just curious. The only person I've really been truly drawn to is, is Deb Dana. Yes. Are you, are you familiar with your... Uh, yes. Um, you, she, she, was, she was on your podcast too, right? She was so mm-hmm. awesome. She was. Yeah, she was. Incredible. She's incredible. The book's yeah. so good. Even like the first four chapters for anybody who's yeah. not. I mean, I wish people. I wish she'd do one that's I, I, because I'm sure plenty of people don't pick it up because it said in therapy they assume it's for clinicians. But that you know the first three I, I, four yeah. chapters are so great for just gen gen pop. Yeah. You know. I I tell it to people. I say, hey, it, it says for therapists, but in my opinion, anyone can benefit. And even the exercises that they talk about that she recommends for ther for therapy, mm-hmm. people can easily take those and adapt it for their own life. In my opinion, so I think right. there's just tons of value in that book for anyone. But yeah, Deb Dana is the only one um, who talks about polyvagal theory. Oh, and then Peter Levine, but he's not. He, he brings up polyvagal theory and and has a ton to do with it, like somatic experiencing and polyvagal theory. I think easily go hand in hand. So Peter Levine and Deb Dana are my, and Porges are my, are my obsessions. Other people, it's, I, I don't know, those, those, those three have been my polyvagal trinity that I've just been obsessed with. Right, kind of touchstones. Um, anything in particular Deb Dana said to you along the way that really 
stuck with. I mean, I know she says so many wise things, but just she anything does. in particular <laughs> that really just lodged in your brain there or took your breath the, away? Yeah, there's a number of things. The polyvagal ladder, that metaphor is just so perfect that it's, it frustrates me. It frustrates me that I can't think of something better. It's just it's perfect mm-hmm. um, to describe the hierarchy of the autonomic nervous system. The polyvagal ladder is a huge concept. Um, story follows state. I think was I think she coined that phrase, um, but the idea that the thoughts in our head are a reflection of our autonomic state. Um, that's just so beautiful and simplistic, and and says so much in what three words? Story follows state in three words. Right. Um, I think yeah, that, that came directly from her. So the polyvagal ladder, story follows state. Her concept of glimmers, these little moments, these little tiny little moments throughout the day, of um, central vagal activity of the safe and social state kicking on. And it's these little, just, you know, tiny moments that we feel. And she calls those glimmers. And I, I don't see other people really talking about those. Even I don't bring that up a lot, but that's, uh, that's pretty much uniquely hers. Uh, Can you give me an are, example you know, of what a glimmer might be, where, you know, just kind of be able to tell people? Um, it will, So my thoughts go to therapy. And with the kids that I'm meeting with, the, the they work their way up the ladder um, into their safe and social state. And that moment where they are finally able to like make eye contact with me. Uh, right. And, yes. Now I remember her saying this. Yes. Specifically. Right. Okay. Right. Right. And it, it's that moment of realizing there's something different. And it doesn't have to be a conscious knowing, but in therapy, you're like doing that. And then if I bring attention to it of holding it, of them, you know, noticing like this is different. There's something happening here. And it only lasts for a moment. And then it becomes too uncomfortable, and they'll look away. But um, it's those little moments of connection, I think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or those little and moments of like joy or peace or, or calm, even. Right, just some sign, just like there it is. It's there. It's, it's yeah, there. Yeah, and it's, it, it's it doesn't last very long. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, she says in her second book, she'll talk about turning glimmers into glows. So I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to that. And then, can you give me one other example, sort of you see of story following state how that might play out you know in a school oh, day yeah. or <laughs> it's it's um i'm struggling to think of one it's it's like a constant and it's not just for school days but it's all of us all of our thoughts uh, right all the time right yes it's it's constant so like i'm trying to narrow that down a kid who is in more of a sympathetic flight fight place their ability to recognize uh, safe faces is compromised. So when they see someone who, is, let's say a kid is more of a fight place, fight energy, when they see a peer who has like a, a flat affect or like a blank stare or they're not using their facial muscles, the kid who's in there more of a, a fight energy will interpret that flat affect as aggression or as a threat in some way. Like in the, I hear this all the time. They'll say, that kid was staring at me. That may or may not be true. The other kid was probably zoned out or daydreaming, or they may have been in their own like shutdown place or their own anxious, you know, flat affect uh, flight place. So we don't know the reality of it, but the story is they're already in this fight place, right? So they're interpreting the world as more aggressive. So when they see that flat affect and they can't, they can't interpret it as safe, their thoughts go to, you're staring at me. You know what I mean? And that, and you're right. staring at me. And it's like that you're staring at me, not, you know, out of curiosity, but like now 
but you're, there's some, some level of threat there. Right. And so the, that you're staring at me becomes like you're weird, you're creeping me out, but it's, it has this like aggressive energy to it. So the story of you're staring at me matches the state of being in this like fight place. And do you no, I know this is like a, this is a big question, but um Okay. I mean, how do you think understanding the Vegas and polyvagal theory um can impact the quality of someone's life? Um well so far from what I'm hearing from people is that it is um enlightening and just having the new information is is this wonderful open avenue to learning about themselves. I, I mean on the positive end it can look like that and if people can come at it from a place of curiosity i think the sky's the limit on the other end of things it's also an avenue of frustration it's like okay i get it but how you know how do i do it and that's more of this uh evaluative place like just tell me the thing to do am i doing it right how long how long will this take you know to self-regulate so it's like can you if, and it really it comes down to if you can come from a place of curiosity in patience, it's, I think it's a wonderful experience, you know, to learn more about yourself. But if you're coming at it from evaluation and judgment, it's you're just reinforcing your stuck defensive state. And sadly, if you, you know, and I think frustratingly, if you have enough of a, of a, of a safe and social state, the curiosity will come naturally. You Like if you're anchored enough in your safe and social place, the curiosity is just a part of that. You'll have it. And if you're anchored too far down into your defensive state, it, you come from a place, remember, fall, you know, story follows state. So right. you're way more evaluative and judgmental. So, I'll, you know, the, the information makes sense, but it's like, you know, okay, but now fix me or tell me what to do or, you know, blah, 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 blah. Like it's it's just much more evaluative, rushed, judgmental place. Right. And that's, it's, it's frustrating because <laughs> to access that, that uh, curious, you kind of have to do some level of self-regulation. Right, because you, if you're safe and social, then you're not afraid of the information you're going to find. It's just... Not it's exactly, like, yeah. It's all good. It's not as threatening. Right. Yeah, yeah um, it's not as threatening. So it's, it's hard. It's like chicken or the egg kind of thing. Um, exactly. But but if someone is listening, that tells me they're already open to new information. They're well on their way. Like that's a huge, huge step forward. And so now it becomes about well, doing enough self-regulation to build the capacity, I think, to build some patience and and uh, to safely look inward and become a little bit more curious about yourself. And it, it's like, I know people want a big fix right away, but it's uh, it's a slow process. It can be a very slow process. Do you find an openness on the part of teachers, administrators, um, security officers on the um, idea and, yeah. and using it? Yes. For the most part, yeah. For the most part, I don't think there's been any huge pushback from any. I don't think so. I think people, and even with audiences that are a little bit more difficult to connect with, I, I think our you know our presenting presentation style um, it, it eventually wins people over. Um, I, I, we haven't had any super negative feedback at all. People have so far loved it. So I think, yeah, I think overall there's been a really strong reception to it. Yeah. And what do you? want to do with all of this information and your podcast and like what are you know where do you want to go with all of this i have no idea <laughs> yeah i have no idea i, I don't that's a good that's I a good no answer i'm just curious yeah i just 
Yeah, um, this, you know, in all, all honesty, uh, this is part of my way of self-regulating is, is the podcast. I'm, I guess I'm pretty openly calling it my my therapy. This is uh, me doing this is my way of uh, tackling my own insecurities, putting my voice out there and putting my thoughts out there. It's not easy. It's super uncomfortable. Um, I exist in more of a I have existed in more of a shutdown place, not 100%, but it's like it's definitely been there. And uh, Deb Dana has this another concept called home away from home. And the idea is yeah. ideally we want to be in our, our safe and social state, but what, you know, what platform, what neural platform or state do we spend more time in? And I've spent way more time in my shutdown place my whole life. So doing this podcast and putting myself out there little bits at a time, Although I mean it's a lot actually, <laughs> it's, it's actually a pretty good amount. But yeah, you know, sure. But um, this, this is my way of of using some of my sympathetic, motivational, and and fun energy is by creating the podcast. I just I just listen to what my body wants, and it's like I know it sounds weird, but like it just I just want it. Just, not not just I, but like my nervous system wants to do this so I'm like all right I'll listen to you right I'm well, doing it at 4 30 in the morning to tell you that one night it did it, it was yeah. like pounding in my head it was like I could feel it in my heart like it's like okay all right I'll, I'll listen to you that's that's what it is now is just me listening to these little impulses inside of myself and the podcast was a pretty darn big one um, but other ones you know like um, I'm gearing up to start uh, online private practice like it just feels like I have to do that like I just feel that inside of me, and if I ignore that, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right. Like I have this little impulse, and I know that I I need to follow these little impulses. What that looks like in five years, I have no idea. What that looks like in two years, I, 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 there's no plan. I have no plan whatsoever. It's just, well, you know, what do I feel like doing? And right now, the podcast is it. The social media is it. Doing individual therapy is it. Creating free content and resources and PDFs for people, um, it just feels right, so I keep doing it. That's it. Like, I, but beyond that, I have, there's zero plan. Okay. Is there anything yeah. that we didn't talk about that you'd like to talk about around polyvagal theory? No, no, okay. this is great. I, I I still appreciate this. This was a uh, it was fun to have someone to kind of process with. Thank you so much for that. Oh sure, of course, and thank you so much for making yourself available. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. There's a lot, a lot, a lot more where this came from on my new podcast. It's called Polyvagal Patrons. This podcast is only available to $5 subscribers on Patreon. It shows up in your favorite podcast app right alongside this one, the Polyvagal Podcast, and whatever else you are subscribed to. Patreon also gives some opportunities for community engagement with other patrons and potentially some Patreon-exclusive live streams or Q&As. Click the link in the description to become a patron. Bye.